Theories. Theories everywhere. No, not the beautiful, pretty types. Not those seen down a swamp alley bar. These were the types with tales. Fairy tales. Barging in and changing my way of life. My livelihood. My home. <laughs> I can't help but not settle down as I'm pestered and followed by a talking mule. <laughs> talking about parfait. I could do with parfait right now. <laughs> I could do with getting out of this joint and getting my home and livelihood back. <laughs> Bring it back, please. Scene. <laughs> can, I just, can I just say, David, when you were just like, the tales, fairy tales, I was like, oh. <laughs> try and keep composure. Try and keep composure. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I'm your host, David Osger, and I am joined as ever by my co-host, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Lamau. <laughs> How are you this week? Uh, I'm fine, although I did a stupid thing and I managed to damage my vocal cords uh, earlier in the week. Oh. <laughs> I, I did hear that was quite quite the celebration you had. Yep. What happened? Yeah. Uh, I found a shiny Pokemon in Pokemon Go that I really wanted. Uh, and I, I <laughs> nice. screamed. Bear in mind, this is about uh, 10 o'clock at night when I was out in my local town. And I screamed about four times. Nice. So for anyone who might hear me coughing every now, I don't have that. <laughs> Not that. I'm just an idiot who likes things. A very reasonable... I love it. <laughs> Is it reasonable, reasonable, though? <laughs> I was being sarcastic. <laughs> okay, fine. Could have been worse. Yeah, so today we are joined by our good friend and collaborator, Nia Alavisos. Hello, Nia. Hello. Thank you guys again for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, We've missed you since our DreamWorks discussion. And oh man, it feels like another world. It does. It, it was a lifetime ago. <laughs> and we're back to talking old school movies as well. Like when you discussed It's a Wonderful Life back at back at Christmas, which is, I think, a phrase that we all need right now as well. It's a wonderful life. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> How have you been the past few months? You've You've been one of the few people in production that has been, you know, working through <laughs> through the year of 2020. Yeah, since I work in, in um, animation, uh, the transfer over was relatively easy because like, you know, when we all went remote, like most of the artists were already remote. So it was just me working in production, just being able to sort of still access the server. So with that technology in hand, I was able to just carry on like normal. So like mm. my um, Sun and Moon, they sent me like monitors and like a, a computer tower. So I have my own like little unique setup here. But it's basically just been like never ending. I'm kind of jealous now of those who were furloughed for a bit, had a, a little bit of break, but it's okay. Yeah, that, that's the thing, isn't it? The people who didn't get it, it's just then they've had some form of holiday. And it's like, will they still get that at Christmas as well? <laughs> that's a lot of holidays. Maybe you get extra Christmas break this year, hopefully. We'll see. But it is interesting now just to see how it's going to change the industry. Like not only animation, film and TV. Yeah, I'm exactly. curious to see that transition. Yeah, and we're already seeing it with the way the things are filmed, and you know, what, watching stuff that has been made now as as restrictions are starting to be made. 
uh, or restrictions are being lifted, I should say. Tell us, Nia, what, what, what is the challenge that you give us, the sort of, you know, the genre you wanted, you wanted us to talk about? This time, I wanted to focus on film noir. Uh, because I always thought it was rather, you said it's like talked about in film school, but it's also considered like super duper underrated. Like you don't mm. see a lot of film noir made today, but like back then in like the 1950s, it was like the go-to thing, like right after uh, World War II. But yeah, I wanted to focus on film noir, which we're going to discuss today, which I'm very, very excited about. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Like I, I think, you know, you get... Hitchcock and that kind of stuff will be taught in film school but you you hear of noir and like French new wave and all that kind of stuff from film school but like you said you don't necessarily always you know go through it or get taught it you just get you know taught the basics of you know a film going through Citizen Kane and that, and that kind of stuff. And I also wanted to bring up well it's coming up uh, it's called Noir Vember. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Turner classic movies over here but um, yeah. not, I was in the states so that was like my number one channel so that's a, a basically a dedication the entire month of november for film noir so they focus on like obviously like the big headers but also like the sort of films like you wouldn't really know about and it's just a sort of focus on the directors and the actors and this that genre which i love well yeah it is like a, a different time and we'll be talking about that today about how you know the films of of that age were so different and another big inspiration for this that like you said about Noir November, you know, hopefully we can revisit this in November and we, you know, previously planned to before, but we thought a perfect chance to bring this topic back was the fact that one of your favourites, Sunset Boulevard, is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year, which is really impressive. You know, 1950, that film came out, uh, which stars Gloria Swanson and William Holden. It's directed by Billy Wilder. And yeah, it's really become infamous as as a noir film because that one is a bit more different and what makes it noir to, to other ones, which we'll, we'll get on to later. Was any other points you had on, on film noir here in terms of like what draws you to it specifically? Well, for me, I always love that it's sort of straight away from the typical Hollywood films that you would get in that time, at least like before the war, because you had like the big showy musicals the romances and like the hero films but i love that film noir is basically crime drama and detective films that sort of focus on like human ambiguity and they highlighted like female sexuality and their power and i was like yes and how they just basically focused on the dark side of reality after the war in those stories and characters and that really like pulls me to it because you're not used to that sort of side of hollywood because you know about like the censorship and like all that other stuff before then and it was just sort of Hollywood's movement to sort of what you see today in cinema. Yeah that's true as well and it's it's interesting to see like you said that noir is not as as big as a genre but there is that debate as to what is noir what isn't and I know with like a lot of modern films you can see certain ones come up but you know they don't specifically say it as as the actual genre. Craig, were you the same as me? Did you have much experience with this? Is there certain ones you think of in your mind when, when you go to film noir? I think I haven't had a great range of experiences with, um, with film noir just because of, you know, being able to see certain things. So I definitely had like the stereotypical images in my head of what I expect. So very much like the, the crime drama-esque aspect of it. 
now that I've gone a little bit into it, like I, I definitely see what Nia's talking about in terms of like the female sexuality. And there's, there's a lot of interesting aspects, uh, especially in the films that I watched that I just didn't quite consider, which uh, is quite fast. It's quite fascinating in terms of, you know, my ignorant mindset uh, towards these things. So, but yeah, I always imagine, I always imagine like, you know, the detective office, the, the PI in the, in the hat. Um, <laughs> at the desk. Stuff- yeah, at the desk. It's late at night. There's there's probably like a glass of whiskey somewhere hanging around. Yeah. Shadows, like the blinds in the walls, the lights <laughs> coming in. Yeah. Delicious. The film Fatal comes in and sort of tells them their big story of, you know, what, what, what they need help, that kind of stuff. It's also interesting looking at if it is modern, what is considered noir, because for people at home then who, you know, why should I watch noir or what films you know, would I be interested? But it is surprising that there are ones out there like Blade Runner, even Who Framed Roger Rabbit. When I was doing like searches online, even those come up as noir films, even they're not really sort of listed as their their exact genre, but they do have those kind of influences. And, you know, I was seeing other lists which were talking about the best noir films. And I don't know what your opinion is on this, uh, Nia, but you had films like uh, Inherent Vice, which was 2014. You had L.A. Confidential from 1997, Fargo. I found Alfred Hitchcock could sometimes be hit or miss whether it was noir or wasn't. So I saw like Vertigo come up, Blade Runner, Chinatown. But yeah, I was just like, I don't know if like some of those are noir or not. Like, it, was, it was interesting. Yeah, I think like um, obviously like at the end of the day, it's like the classic noir is obviously the use of like how it was shot too, like back in the day with like the juxtapositions and the cinematography, like the yeah. good is like the white and the bad is the dark, you know, and you have the use of shadows and those Dutch angles that threw you for loops and like the lurking terrors. So it's like, that was, uh, that's like the big visual element for me with like film noir. But then like the more modern you go, it's just that again, the focus sort of on the crime, the underbelly and just sort of, focusing on like the outcasts of society which is you know like inherent bias and um, Fargo especially it's like more of like a parody in a way but yeah exactly yeah. yeah it definitely feels that the more modern you go it's they're trying to embody the somewhat narrative spirit of film noir but not necessarily like the aesthetic which I think mm. it's definitely true when you look at something like say Blade Runner because let's face it like the I think the only major similarity in that situation is probably the the, the like the psychological discussions at times rather than say anything else about it because let's face because uh, even though it's you know dark gringy set it, it's the future man come on i suppose it's the kind of like and the mystery element to it it's the fact that yeah. it's not you know the way that the mystery unravels is you know is quite it's like a detective thing in a way you know just a big reveal there's a chase you know mm. yeah there's still like a good the bad you know and that sort of battle and the most visual one when you said about like, you know, what makes noir when you have like a visual piece, I suppose would be like something like Sin City as well, which takes that sort of like, you know, and this have the black and white and, and, and that kind of I stuff. That one. Yeah. But we'll leave all the modern ones to another day because <laughs> today, like I said, uh, we wanted to talk about some of Nia's recommendations, some of her favorites and the film that inspired today's discussion, which is Sunset Boulevard. Uh, which, like I mentioned earlier, is celebrating its 70th anniversary. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, it's a film that we have now all seen and I think is definitely worthy of discussion and, and a dedicated episode. So 
this week, you know, we're already saying we have our usual segment, The Movie Vault, in which we preserve movies for all time. And as this has inspired our discussion today and is celebrating 70 years, Sunset Boulevard goes straight into The Movie Vault at the top of the episode. Yeah. So into The Movie Vault, Sunset Boulevard goes. And the question now for you guys at home is what will we choose to accompany it later on? So... In the spirit of noir, there's no mysteries now, guys. We know, you know, for anybody at home, like, oh, well, they're just going to put Sunset Boulevard in there. Well, we we beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put that MacGuffin right out there. Hedda Hopper speaking. I'm talking from the bedroom of Norma Desmond. Don't bother with a rewrite, man. Take this direct. Ready? As day breaks over the murder house. Yes, you'll read the big black headlines about Norma Desmond and this Hollywood scandal. But you'll never read the true story about the rest of us who were part of it. Me, for instance. Joe Gillis, a promising young writer from Dayton, Ohio. And Betty, that nice kid I met at a Hollywood party who knew nothing about me, but knew what she wanted. Don't you love Artie? Of course I love him. I always will. Well, we should have lived happily ever after, like they do in the movies. But this was different, because this is a Hollywood story about the people who make the movies. The little ones that you never hear of, like Betty and me. The great ones, like Cecil B. DeMille. All those who knew Norma Desmond, a strange woman who left her mark on all of us, who crossed her path. Gloria Swanson, one of the great personalities of this generation in a role that comes to an actress once in a lifetime. Rising to the heights, William Holden creates a startling portrayal. And a new star is born in Sunset Boulevard, Miss Nancy Olson. Joe? Where are you? What's this all about? Why don't you come out and see for yourself? The address is 10,086 Sunset Boulevard. Yes, come out to see for yourself the film that reaches a new milestone of dramatic daring. The film that every critic says is a giant among motion pictures. Would you say going into this, Nia, that there's any other important points about noir to remember or to keep in mind to know before seeing Sunset Boulevard? Yes, you had uh, mentioned Femme Fatale. Um, yeah. and basically, that's like, to me, it's like the badass uh, woman who uses her sexuality and oftentimes like cruelty to manipulate the men and gain power, money, independence. And it's like basically um, just to to uh, stray away from that cliche of like being a boring housewife. Mm. Um, and it's like, basically they have whatever it takes to make their own dreams a reality at, you know, like murder, robbery or whatever. But that sort of plays into Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned that femme fatales destroy the social norms and stepping on men, <laughs> making some men ladder, just getting up there, climbing that ladder of, shame corruption I, I think it's also interesting because 
when I saw like the poster and everything for it, and you know, Gloria Swanson is like the center sort of character to that. And I was like, oh, is this is refreshing? So will this be a you know fifties film that actually does have like a female lead? And then it starts off with this like male uh, characters like dialogue and narration. I was like, oh, okay, well, we probably won't get that. But you know, it, it still was pretty impactful to see a film that was had such a you know female character it's such a core position of of the film and like you said which even in other noirs can sometimes just be you know a a side to to the male character so i think that's why this one you know did really stand out to me and i i think it has a lot of merits which you know similar to famous films like Citizen Kane, etc. I got to the end of it and I was just like, why is this not more celebrated? Because it, it makes such an artistic point and such a big message. And, I, you know, I felt that the end of it was like the Rosebud kind of thing. I was like, wow, this is really, really daring and really, you know, innovative for, for, for that time by the, by the time I, I got to the end of it. So, yeah. I, Boulevard? Yes, yeah. Okay, sorry, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, because it was like the first time I watched it recently and saw preparation for this and and yeah, I, you know, I, I was just amazed at how how daring it was in terms of like, you know, giving his messages and that kind of stuff. Like Billy Wilder had guts, like we'll talk about it more, but just being able to just make a film like that that just blatantly calls out Hollywood for what it is back then. It's just, it took a lot of guts and courage and I'm glad he was able to do it. The final line definitely has become like quite infamous. Just the fact that even before before even getting into Sunset Boulevard, I was aware, I was just aware of the I'm ready for my close-up line. I just didn't realise what an absolute sinister undertone it just mm. took after watching the film. That's true, actually, yeah. And, and you think of it in a different context, because I, I didn't think of it as like, oh, there's that line, because, yeah, like Craig said, it, it takes on a different, different life in the film. It's like a tragedy, too, in its own right, just Norma Desmond's story and how she ends up where she ends up in her overall demise. It's just, it's quite sad. And it's, it's like disturbing to watch just sort of her unravel into this madness and then the ending. She's yeah. just like, oh. One of the most gripping psychological performances I've seen in a while. Even, yes. though, even the way she talks, like in regular scenes, makes it feel like she thinks that she's in a film and just I know. desperately trying to be in a film. Because like at, uh, at first I thought that, right, this is just really overblown acting until I sort of realized, Oh, oh! She's literally just being destroyed by this industry, and then I just, I just bought into the character, and also helps facilitate probably. And I messaged David last night saying this probably my favorite film twist of all time now. And even the way that it opens as well, something I do love about watching these old school movies is you know the sort of dramatics and the the visuals of them. And sometimes then when you you come out of it, you kind of, you know, you imagine then the world in this, like, imagine if it was like this old school movie type, type world, you know, you go into your car and you imagine the music like, dun, 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 you know, but like, even just before recording this podcast, um, I went into the bathroom and there was a daddy long legs that's like fallen into the toilet and it's like floating there in the water. And I was like, oh, it's like, <laughs> it's like Joe, it's been, it's been murdered. <laughs> like I was imagining this daddy long legs then giving like a big narration, like you might be interested as to how I actually got here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Did you fish out the body and handle it with more care than you would have if it were alive? <laughs> That there are some great quotes in this as well. Like I had a lot of moments which I just wrote down lines which I'm like, I'm using that in life. Oh yeah. It's delicious. Like just the dialogue alone, you're just like, oh, 
Well, what makes me love this film so much is the depiction of old Hollywood and the fact that it was based off Gloria Swanson's life in Hollywood as a film actress because she was like one of the most famous silent film actresses of her time. And I love the fact, though, that Billy Wilder even sought out other silent film stars for the role of Norman Desmond, like uh, Mary Pickford and Paula Negri and even um, Greta Gar Garbo. Uh, but they all like declined because they were horrified that he was making a film like this, like at that time, like exposing Hollywood and like they're basically like putting themselves in jeopardy to play Norma Desmond. So that's one of my favorite facts. But also, did you guys know that her butler was played by Eric von Stroheim, who was also like a famous silent film um, actor and director uh, who like worked with uh, Swanson at the time. So I just love those little calls to the silent era. But I just love how it just like shits on Hollywood and the world itself at the time, it's full of pessimism and cynicism, which is, like I said, the opposite of most of the stories told in Hollywood. For me, I love it because it's like an interesting shift into how the storytelling changed in Hollywood after the war to show like the grittier films, stories with more realistic characters and tougher situations, as opposed to like romance and ooh, ah, lights and action. And Wilder basically exposes corruptive Hollywood and the decline of old Hollywood and he unites those facts from Swanson's career and his own career with the fiction and the dreams and just to basically shine a light on the underbelly of Hollywood uh, during that that time yeah it's so that's one of my big things for me I was surprised looking at it I thought oh this must have you know Gloria Swanson must have been just a big actress or a big name or so Meryl Streep at that time but when I was looking at it I was like wow this is weird how much it reflects the actual character like you said that she was a silent film star and then you know faded away etc and I was just like that and that takes guts for her to even play that role I suppose a similar example in recent years would be Michael Keaton in Birdman that's almost like the same same situation in which he's like I'm going to be you know reflective of my own career in that you know it's gone down the toilet and I'm known for playing this big superhero so and then the yes, that even in the film, like the pictures used of her, actually of her of her film career, etc. Yeah, um, and I also love Billy Wilder in general, and how his yeah. films focus on those same outsiders and characters who didn't like fit in with society. And especially in Sunset Boulevard, we see like the depressed and delusional world of the unsuccessful Hollywood actors and actresses, and even like the writers. Like uh, Gillis is like a failed B movie screenwriter. Um, and Norma Desmond's forgotten movie icon and her butler, failed director. And then like, we even get like, it's like, sorry, what's his name? Buster Keaton. Like we get a Buster Keaton cameo who was also a famous silent mm. film actor. So it's just sort of, it's just an interesting take on Hollywood at that time. And how I just love how he exposes everything. Like the land of dreams isn't really what you, you think of it. Yeah, it definitely has a lot of reference, you know, like there's so many references to like, oh, Paramount's doing this, you know, like in Hollywood, this is how it works. And the mansion as well, I found was quite indicative of everything they were saying, kind of reminded me of like, you know, in Psycho, you got the iconic Bates Motel and you've got, you know, again, in Citizen Kane, you've got like his house and everything. And, and to me, that was like a really iconic set is that they have this old decaying mansion which is all overgrown and you know I thought that was really impactful and like you said reflected the message of you know this woman who's hidden away and and not not what she once was but just the fact as well to to add to that it's not 
the fact that the mansion then like over time just comes back to life and then obviously the one thing that they make a big deal out of in the film which is the bringing back of the pool then ends up being the the site of probably one of the most famous scenes in terms of the murder and then that basically Mm. is the thing that ends up springboarding her back into the cameras it's just it's kind of terrifying to think just like how perfect that like symbolism actually works yeah it's like the house itself i would consider like a character in its like own right you know it's just so many different rooms and it's each littered with parts of her past you know that she clings on to and like even the end when the staircase and that is just like a pivotal moment and it's just like ooh, it's like the life and that beating heart Ugh. that that's what you kind that's what's kind of good about old movies as well is i was sort of looking at the time you know left on the film obviously these days you'd be like there's 20 minutes left but then you sort of get to it and then you're like oh wait it's already finished because there's like 10 or 15 minutes of credits whereas you know, in, in these older movies, they go right up to the last second because all they need is just that title card of who starred in it and that's it kind of thing. So, yeah, they, they, they make as much of they can of that, like, and you're like, how are they going to wrap this up in just that little, like, you know, two minutes? And like you said, that that staircase sequence does, you know, do, do it perfectly. And I also like as well how Joe's character sort of goes through, you know, repeats information she says about the house so backs up what you were saying about how it's a character you know he says oh did you know that this floor was recommended by uh, you know this person and you know it's great for dancing so it's kind of like how it's embedded himself in in his psyche as well and uh, speaking of like the pool I basically just love how the film starts with the murder so it's like doom and gloom like from the beginning and it's basically narrated by a dead dude so it's yeah. like boom we know what to expect and it's just really interesting just to see the highs and lows to how we got to that moment, like in the pool. It's like different, it's all well, not different, but it's like you're watching it for the first time every time you watch it because you catch something new and you're like, oof. Yeah, that, that's why I was thinking watch now is like there is something special about a narrated film as well because like even he says at the beginning, you know, this might not be the story you think it is or, you know, you might be expect, you know, surprised how, how it came here. And, and it does add a nice flavor to films when they are, narrated because it gives them a personality and especially then it, it also adds the sort of like old school aesthetic because it was a much bigger thing back then as well like i love the i love the film i thought i thought gloria swanson's performance was just captivating mm. and just psychotic but there were just small de- there were just small details that just just took me aback i mean like mm. the ladder progress uh, the ladder progression of men you mentioned um, I thought that was an interesting take and just uh, like well executed. But the fact then the butler like, just comes out and says, I'm the first husband. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I think I, I, I just messaged David saying that's my favorite movie twist of all time. Because I was like, of all things I expected him to be, I did not expect him to be an old time director who felt an, a level of guilt for, dis- for being part of bringing this woman into the career. Um, into Hollywood to the point he would just make himself subservient and basically watch her next string of relationships. Oh yeah, it yeah. Just even blew like my that, mind. Oh. Mm, it's very disturbing. That's what I was thinking. I was like, how would that relationship have ended in a way that's not like you know? It's usually you must move out or you must leave the house. <laughs> and you know, how but does the re- like? When did he take the role as Butler? Yeah. Yeah. Was it as soon as like talkies? were like brought in and he's like oops there goes my job you know it's good it's also just really disturbing then the fact Mm. that throughout the entire film he always just refers to her as madame 
And it's just one of those things where, again, it just feels like he's just still not truly acknowledging her identity because he's still trying to keep up this film facade. The fact that he's basically on the side just writing loads and loads of film letters, the fact that he's emphasizing any and all environments that like Paramount wants to get involved with her until it finds out they only want to rent a car off her, in which case they go stum. Um, like, it's, it's really, it's just a, I don't know what's darker, like the, the breakdown that she actually suffers uh, to the point that like when Joel basically wants to do things like leave, she basically goes straight for like the nuclear death option or what he's essentially doing to her and just like helping maintain this facade. I don't know. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's because like they set it up as well where you think, oh, he's just like the weird butler at the, the beginning and he's playing the organ and you saw again idea straight away for, oh, this is what that character, you know, that this type of character is. But, but like I said, then the more the film goes on, the more clever you realize he is as you realize things like the letters. And then especially when they do go to Paramount and they mention about the, the car rental, you are like, this guy is, you know, very on it. And, and that's why when that revelation does come about it, you saw sort of buy it so much because he does seem so on top of everything. But, but yeah, like you said, I'm just interested in one and it's also the fact that she just never acknowledges him as, a, you know, there's never a hint that she is potentially like uh, previously been in a relationship with him. You know, there's no acknowledgement from her. There's no, she always treats him as, as staff and barely even looks at him really. And I think that that's interesting. So yeah, I'm just interested as to whether, like Nia said, did, did he leave the house and then apply for the role and literally literally was just like, hello, I am, you know, the butler. And she's just like, oh, hello, nice to meet you. Did she just pretend that like she never knew him? Or Because as, as we see later on, I wouldn't be surprised if if mentally she was in that state in which she did just block him out of her mind. I, I don't know. Can we also just acknowledge the fact that he basically burgled the guy's entire house and brought it to his own home? <laughs> Again, another another hint today was like this guy's got more to him than uh, meets the eye if he's like able to like bring all of his stuff to to the house yeah but i guess that would also make i mean it's like obviously it makes norma desmond like the perfect femme fatale and it's also it's not what you would expect a femme fatale to be because you always expect it to be like gorgeous blonde you know mm. mysterious sunglasses inside but it's like norma desmond she uses her like social status and her sexuality to like motivate herself to get back into that spotlight that she's been like trying to get for like however many years she's been out of work. Um, like she was a famous actress. People used to recognize her and like, that's what made her happy. But it's just like Hollywood, like ate her, like, chewed her back up and like spit her out. So it's just interesting just to see like that mental decay. And um, as you guys were discussing, at, like what point did she just sort of lose it? And then the Butler came back and it's like, like how many years after, like talkies and all this stuff. And it's very interesting to just think about. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, and it's a theme that comes up a lot more like now. So what I found interesting about it, like was this sort of one of the first films to talk about, like focus on Hollywood? Because there is always that story of like, oh, you know, there's nothing that Hollywood loves more than talking or making films about itself. So, you know, I, I was sort of intrigued as to like, well, how many was there before 1950? Because obviously that was the, you know, more early days of Hollywood. 
you know, whether Sunset Boulevard did so break the norm in, in that sense as well. I think it was because I was reading somewhere about how obviously Wilder had to keep it on like top secret down low and he would only release like one page of the script per time for review um so to keep everything a secret and like he used paramount as you know like paramount called it out in the film so he took so many risks like in his own career at the time like he could have been like immediately like shut down and like blacklisted in the industry but it's like i'm not sure if any films came before that that just was so blatant in terms of like Hollywood will throw you out as soon as you get old. You know, we don't care how much you've worked, you know. Yeah. If you're not, like, useful to us, then we don't need you, which is, like, it's horrifying and it's sad. And it still happens, like, today, which is just, like, awful. And like you said, that, you know, that was back in the days in which there was the studio system in which you worked for the studio. So, yeah, you can imagine they would be, you know, right in your own death note kind of thing because, you know, you are employed by the studio. You make, you know, so many films for them. And that was what was great, you know, when she arrived at the studio. She was like, oh, these, you know, the studio wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. You know, you know, there's yes, a lot that's actually here. like a fact of um, uh, Gloria Swanson's real life. Like she worked with Paramount. She was like the star. So it's like without her, mm. what, you know, what would the film industry be? Which I think is an interesting like call to her own career. I just find it fascinating that they actually allowed the name Paramount in this. Yes. Film. The fact that they just didn't go oh. for like some form of dummy company just for the sake of the fakeness no they actually just say paramount the last sort of big note i would want to say about it is like gloria swanson's performance i think the her facial expressions her acting the costumes as well i think again for that time period they really went all out on the visuals because you know the house is fantastic and the the dance scene and the you know the uh, room that that's placed into but the work that they put into her costumes to make her always different and she has that like veil over her face you know, it was really fantastic. And you get you get it straight away as soon as you see her, uh, you know, when she's got like the eyes and she's all like, you know, wide eyed. And she, you know, that that was one of my, you know, favorite lines in, in the film was uh, when she says, I can say anything with my eyes, you know, and she and I thought that was interesting because, you know, we do talk a lot about I think like one of the classic examples, again, is in Psycho when you saw see the woman who gets killed uh like her eyes when she's driving that car and people always say oh you know the eyes are the window to the soul and that's how you sort of like get a story from the actor etc so anytime that their eyes are blocked they struggle more to sort of tell tell what their character's thinking so that's why i thought this was interesting on the complete opposite side showing how how she uses her eyes and she's been used to using them and you see in the other pictures that they're sort of like purposely more white and more bright and and yeah, I just loved the facial expressions because again, during that time period, people would be a bit more reserved about playing bigger characters. I think they would be more on this play like a typical, typical guy, typical gal, that kind of thing. But she really goes for it, making this big, bold character, which really jumps off the screen, which I, which I loved. Yeah, and I love that quote she gives. She's like, "I am big. It's the pictures that got small." Yeah, that's what I also wrote that one down. That that hit me. I was like, "Yeah." Like, <laughs> for me, my favorite scene involving her is still where she's just doing those home shows and she just comes out as charlie chaplin i'm just for literally no reason it's just the way she's there i i that just sold it for me in terms of <laughs> she's just a fantastic actress because one <laughs> like the fact she's there still having like incredible dramatic moments dressed as charlie chaplin and she doesn't lose any of that power it was just fantastic 
And I love Cecil B. DeMille basically was himself. Like when Gloria visits the film set, you know, she's back in, he's just like sitting in the director's chair. Like they just interrupted shooting on like whatever he was working on. Just be like, Hey, you know, come over here, be in the scene, you know, yeah. which, I, which I love. The final few lines that I noted down of her, one was, uh, that's the problem with you, uh, readers you you know all the plots i thought that was just a great again it wasn't as big as like you said like the it's the pictures that got small but i just liked that little analysis from her i was like that's quite that's quite nice you know just because you could say that by a lot of people even if they weren't like writers or you know readers you could say you know you know all the plots kind of thing and then i also loved the way she said well obviously british people will say more garage but then near you might say garage but then uh, Norma Desmond says the garage. <laughs> At one point, she full on just says garage. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. It's like go to the garage. <laughs> like wow. And also, I was really happy to know that uh, Norma Desmond would trust me and you, Nia, because she likes Sagittarians. You can trust them. So we're Ooh. good in it. <laughs> we won't good. be shot. <laughs> we're good in Norma's Norma's eyes. And I never heard Zodiacs referred to the to like that. I don't know why people always just say, "Oh, you are Sagittarius." But I love the idea of going Sagittarians. You know, I never heard that either until then. So it's just like, ooh. Spice it up. I, I want to know what like other what the other alternatives like Leo like what would you you know like what Leo ends yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> just Leons surely yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to hear her say all of them it's like I don't trust Leoins <laughs> you know so yeah it, it's a fantastic film it's a fantastic performance for from Gloria Swanson and and William Holden and I think yeah it. it rightly deserves his place in the movie vault and and film history and yeah i think it's it's really great this is celebrating this 70th anniversary i I wish it did have more you know more acknowledgement as one of the classics to me it did seem like it should be out there with you know the big ones like psycho and and citizen king because it is so bold in what it you know in what it's saying so yeah that is sunset boulevard so Nia, what what are some of the other noir films that you know come to mind? You know what would you say you've seen like a big range and like these are the ones are your favourites and are the ones you don't like or is it the all the ones you've sort of seen? Uh, you've always checked out the good ones. Yeah, it's mostly the ones that I've seen and I've uh, liked. But um, my second favourite is, as I mentioned, Rafifi, mm-hmm. which is sort of like lesser known, but it's like a French noir crime film directed by Jules Dessin, who was part of Hollywood and he was blacklisted and kicked out. So he was just like, screw that. I'm going to continue making films the way I want um, over, you know, in Europe. But it's basically just about this band of um, bank robbers who do this one heist and the heist there's just like stealing, uh, gosh, I think it was like jewelry or whatever, but um, it's done entirely. The sequence is like 20, 30 minutes done entirely without dialogue so it's like so suspenseful and so delicious and it's just well it's just like the perfect example of what film noir is it's just crime the underbelly of you know the city and it's just so delicious and the fact that it was done without dialogue has always been um the favorite little bit for me but um if you guys could ever find it and watch it definitely recommend it yeah it's a good example again of like finding out and searching for films because like we said in our previous episode, people are too often just, oh, you know, if it's not online or this specific place, I won't bother. It's like, well, you know, you got to find, you know, sort out these things sometimes. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's great as well. Anytime that you can have uh, creative stuff, especially with visuals and sound. And that, that's, I think that's why, like, you know, the artists that, you know, had the Oscar win a few years ago getting wasn't it? It was that idea of like, oh, it's, you know, commenting on Hollywood and old Hollywood. And, and again, that's what I thought was interesting with Sunset Boulevard is they're kind of going back to that idea of like silent film start then then the talkies. So yeah, if, you know, if they can pull off an entire sequence without dialogue, then yeah, that, that's fantastic. It's so good. That's my favorite part about that film. Typical film noir, French. There's yeah. a delicious like dance number in a club that's just like done with like silhouettes of like the dancers on stage, but just that bank heist and the lack of dialogue. And it just, it's like the yeah. simple little shots and little cutaways that help build the suspense. It cuts back. There's like sweat slowly dripping, you know, are they going to do it? Is it going to be successful? And it's just like, oh, good. Craig, Craig is potentially already sold. He's got a heist in him. He's a sucker for a heist. That's <laughs> good. And it's like, especially like a heist film that sort of reinvents the way that you do heist films. Cause it's like, Oh, you've seen one heist film. You've seen them all, but this one's just sort of, puts a little twist on it and you actually sort of care about the characters um, and their overall demise. Cause this being like a film noir, obviously it's not going to end the best mm. for everyone. So it's just sort of like, oh, you just want them to succeed. You know, they're criminals. So yeah. Sort of like, oh. Basically what you've described is a, a heist film that reinvents a heist film before heist films are necessarily a thing. Yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I was interested in what you did think about the, the Maltese Falcon Nia, because like I said that watching that one was so such a different experience to Sunset Boulevard. You know, there was you know this film which was somewhat more traditionally told to this other one, which I was like, I don't know what to think watching this. I was still trying to like digest it as I was watching it. This is such an intense mystery thriller. What what, what is your thoughts on? It's like a mystery thriller that kind of like goes nowhere because it's like what they're searching for is like the MacGuffin, so it doesn't even really matter yeah. at the end of the day. But yeah, I just love how this one is like the like as you guys were discussing earlier, the, the stereotypical like, oh, wise guy, detective, searching, you know, private investigator, searching through the shadows and getting entangled in like women mm. and, you know, thinking he's discovered one plot, but, you know, he gets thrown for like a complete loop. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen that one for a long time either, but I just remember just being in love with Humphrey Bogart and loving, just being confused like the whole time. Yeah. Just like him being like, wait, what the hell's going on? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's what I thought throughout there. And that's why I was just like, this is such a different experience. I don't know what to think because sometimes you will get thrown for a loop when, say, I don't know why it, it came into my, my mind was, some, say, something like disaster films where you'll think, is this bad? Because, you know, it, like the tropes of some disaster films are just cheesy and stupid and dumb. But then you're just like, well, say like, Godzilla last year, for example, was like, well, you know, it, it can be good because it's, it knows what it is, it's paying tribute to those sort of like disaster films and the goofy elements of them. And that's where I was like watching it, like, this is really hard to, you know, critique or make a judgment on or like a rating because, like you said, you don't know what's going on and, you know, characters are constantly like changing and switching. You're like, this, this throws out all the rules of film in terms of like, you know, your, your character's progression and like, you know, moving the plot along and your your set you know your intro middle and end kind of thing i was like i don't know what to think but but yeah by the end of it you are like well that took me on a journey so you know it so it, it did its its job there in that you know it it takes you through a, a completely bizarre set of circumstances and you come out sort of changed by it kind of thing 
Yeah, you have like a bunch of femme fatales and you have like this possible love romance triangle, awkward stuff. But but it's like just starts with like someone coming in being like, I can't find my sister. Mm. Help. You know, and it's just I, I do enjoy how you don't think like the end result. He had no you didn't expect what the heck was going to happen because you're just thinking it's going to be this like murder mystery whodunit. Mm. But you're kind of like, what? You know? Yeah. And like Peter Laurie's in it, which I love. I love him. He's like so underrated. Yeah, he he's fantastic in this film. And yeah, Humphrey Bogart likes it. I don't know how he 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 does it. Like, you know, he's a, so you were going to do this and then you were going to do that. And, and I knew you do. And I was like, how are you doing this, man? Because even at one point, the character does say like, or several characters say like, it's like, wow, how, <laughs> like you were able to come up with all that. Huh? And he's just like, well, I got to do this because, you know, they're going to set us up for this. And if I do that, then it's like. Watch yeah so how he how he acts that and remembers all of that as well is i was amazed by it definitely yeah. seems to be a, a skill of hum- humphrey bogart because he also stars in the one film that i did watch for this which was the big sleep oh yeah i did see he was in that as well yeah he also there plays a pi who is able to juggle a lot of things ongoing uh, in the in the <laughs> search know. for variety of people that's why at times when you were describing the maltese fancer i'm just like did I secretly just watch the Maltese Falcon? But then you said about missing sister. Like, ah, no, it was a blackmailed no. sister in mine. There's always a sister. Yeah. It's always a sister. <laughs> well, um, well in my case, literally was the sister. Um, but yeah, I, I like as well how, how you said, Nia, about like the MacGuffin side of it. You know, it's, it's really fun how they play into the, the Falcon itself. So, you know, when they reveal it at the end and he's there like trying to chip away at it and you have that dramatic music, like, you know, dum da dum you know, and you got the the image of it and they're telling the story of the falcon you know all of that i thought was interesting and and yet but yeah how how you said how this all this drama revolves around it and it's not so much about the item but like i said the you know the woman who's involved with him and yeah you've got that the lady who so works for him is like his assistant is it she's like a very strong character he's like oh will you put this person up yeah yeah sure why not and i was like okay this this woman seems to be willing to take on a lot of problems for like what is she doing there get out yeah and and they also sticks that typical trope of like the old hollywood like romance kisses and it just like grabs person presses face against and like he does that a lot in this film they're just like looking at each other and he's just like and they're like whoa you're like where did this even come from yeah it's like he was meant to have had a relationship with his partner's wife and then like he's like getting with two other people there and there i was like (laughs) bizarre feel is like the writer or I, i'm not sure if this one was also based off a book because i know the big sleep was based off like a some crime novel i'm just it always feels just sort of like the writers just throw everything in there to be like yeah we're gonna have this we're gonna have two women and intrigue and there's gonna be a missing sister and then blah 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 he's gonna go here but then there's gonna be a statue and they're gonna want to try to find the statue but the statue yeah. meaningless you know yeah. it's like guys just calm down put the brakes on yeah you can imagine the pitch to the film is, is like just you know saying all of that but like you said, the the, the technical, technical side of it is interesting as well. Some of the shots they go with, like when he's on the phone and they just linger on like the phone, they don't do the typical and just go to him and see his face as he's talking. And, and you know, there's some interesting stuff with that. Yeah, and I do like the, it's like the ending quote, right? It's like the stuff that dreams are made of um, when they're just sort of like fading away. And it's just like, ooh. Yeah. It's a good yeah. one. I'm glad you guys enjoyed the Maltese Falcon because I, <laughs> I did not enjoy the big sleep. Um, thankfully, 
I, I did read a couple of reviews about mine just to double check. It wasn't just me going insane, but thankfully a few people online did say this film is confusing. I was like, great. I'm not the only one who was <laughs> lost. So just to give you a basic idea of what it is, David, uh, PI, uh, shocker, uh, is asked to investigate about some uh, blackmailing slash help deal with some uh, basically debts that like his daughter is racking up. He eventually sp- uh, spends time finding the guy and that guy is dead. Uh, you'd think that'd be part of the mystery, but nope. Nobody seems to care that he's dead. They just seem to think that they just seem to acknowledge that he's dead uh, and then sort of move on with the, oh, well, got to work out someone else who's being blackmailed now. And, and it's just, they're like, wait, are we not going to talk about the guy who's dead? And then the body disappeared and everyone's like, eh. It's like, <laughs> no, uh, murder. Mur- no, I don't care if somebody owes some money to a guy. And then it turns out that the guy who owned the house of the dead person is like the lead, is like a lead gangster. And nobody is talking about this apart from we got to find this guy's wife. Like, wait, what? No, what? Did he not do it? And also, for some reason, uh, one of like the the original like guy's daughter is there, but she's drugged. Except that it turns out that she's not necessarily drugged. She's just has psychological issues. It's like what? What? Uh, then the other daughter is like winning loads of money at, at, at like a casino, and then the casino tries to rob it off her. But then she ends up at the house of the guy anyway, along with a missing wife who we. Just out of nowhere, we're told, oh, yeah, she's missing. Now we found her. It's like, what? what? No, what? What's going on? Uh, eventually, things start making sense where they start shooting people, except for how the gangster, who was surprisingly behind it all, gets killed, which is that he do- for some reason, he doesn't have a gun going in- into this last confrontation, but his henchmen think he does. So, like... Uh, Humphrey Bogart's character just shoots the room a couple of times, scaring this gangster. He runs out the door. His henchmen just gun him down because they think it's the PI. So I'm just like, what? <laughs> and also, also, I think it's actually a really bad example of what of what you really like about uh, film noir, which is uh, Nia, which is the idea of uh, emboldening female sexuality, because this does not do a good job of it at all. Because all the women in this film are just unnecessarily horny. Like, all of them. Anyone he encounters. Like, he even gets in a taxi, a taxi which has a female taxi driver there. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, good, this will be the one character that doesn't have some form of flirtation. Nope. When he leaves, she's like, hey, if you need, uh, if you need a, a driver, here's my card. Uh, when's best to call you? Day or night? Night. I'm working during the day. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like he gets flirty with like a book owner for no a bookshop owner for no reason. Literally he's just like, Hi, I need to watch and she's there like, Well, I can shut up early and we can watch them together. I'm like, What? No <laughs> Like I'm sorry that like I'm sorry, like, he, he probably is attractive. I mean I'm I'm not, you know, attractive to forty year old men from the nineteen fifties. But every single woman is just coming on to him and I'm just like, Stop it. Stop it now. And then in the end, like uh, a, a woman who is responsible for like some bad stuff is basically said, oh, it's because of her psychological issues. We need to get her into psych care. I'm just like, great. <laughs> I, was just sat, I was just sat there and 
I was like, this is this is not the greatest example, especially considering I watched it straight after Sunset Boulevard. I don't think that helped. Mm. But it definitely it definitely embodied like probably the worst aspects of like film noir, especially in terms of like, you know, handling like of the mystery. Um, at least if there's gonna be a mystery, I think it needs to be a bit better pace, or if it's gonna go like off the rails, like you guys said, at least have some reasons why it's going in that direction. This just didn't and it saddened me. Damn. Though, yeah, I haven't seen that film for quite some time, but it always felt like a big excuse to just have Bogart um, and Lauren Bacall in it, um, just to have like that sexual tension and them just throwing sexual in- innuendos back at each other. Like that's just the entire film to yep. me, at least. And it's like, I don't know. It's like Howard Hawks, like not best film, but that's all I remember. It was just like them just being like sexually charged on screen together. Cause like, the director knew like they would get tickets. You know? Yeah, they are great up until yeah. the up until a point where she's just sitting in a car and he's looking at her like you're shaking, and she's just there perfectly still, and he's like you're shaking, and then she's just there she's just there like I'll do this for you. Why? Because I love you. I'm like what? Yeah, it was like sort of like how far could they go and get away with before like the censorship was like mm mm. Yeah, you know, it's like I know like Hitchcock loved to like play with that. Because, like, have you guys seen, like, North by Northwest? Yeah. It's, like, the train scene, you know, and it's, like, they're going to, like, about to kiss and the train goes through the tunnel. So you just see that image. But it's, like, if, if, you know, someone watching, not really paying attention, there's bad an eye. But if you really, like, "Mm, I see what you did there, Hitchcock. You know, like, that sort of stuff. So uh, we now go to our section, which is the movie vault, uh, to submit what other films we think are typical of noir. And, uh, yes, Nia, I think... You definitely have your set recommendation, which is. <laughs> yes, I would put Rafifi into the vault uh, because it's uh, lesser known. Uh, it's directed by Jules Dessin, um, but it's just sort of the perfect example of what film noir is. And it focusing on the underbelly, the crime world. It's a heist film. You have delicious sort of like horrible characters you really shouldn't be rooting for, but you're rooting for them and you want them to succeed. And it's just a damn good film and like i had uh discussed before there's that 30 minutes of no dialogue is just shows like why filmmaking is important because you're just you don't need dialogue to tell a story just like norma desmond said uh herself but it's just sort of it's a perfect example of what film noir is to me and i think it should be put in that vault kept safe i think yeah definitely i'd agree from what you said like i said it sounds really intriguing i really want to see it and it's good for that variety of, you know, like a French film, uh, especially if it's got the crime and mystery elements to it. Because, yeah, even though, like I said, I, I, I re- appreciated and respected Maltese Falcon, I just feel that there's so many other sort of like crime ones out there as well. I'm happy with like Sunset Boulevard is the one I enjoyed the most. So I think if Rafifi's going in there alongside that, because I'm assuming the Craig <laughs> wouldn't want the big sleep to go in there based on his experience. <laughs> Did anyone else appreciate the irony that we are basically putting a film that involves like a bank heist into a vault? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll have to break it out someday. It'll break itself out. That's fine. <laughs> mm, they'll find a way. It'll be done completely silent. Anyone never know. Yeah, true. <laughs> so going into the movie vault this week is Rafifi alongside Sunset Boulevard. This is truly an endgame that eludes me. 
As I sit here at my desk, my feet swimming in the sea of bottles of former drinks to take my sorrows, I struggle to think of a game that will challenge our film noir expert and David. How can I make a game that can demonstrate the beauty of the noir? Is there even a fair way to do it? Nia, with that glint of optimism in her eye, is, a, is adept to this sort of stuff. David, he doesn't even know what adept means. <laughs> I stare at the blank page of ideas and my mind is racing, racing with the logic of a film noir narration. No idea of what to do. If only more films I knew could be like... Endgame time! So, what we'll be doing today in a game that I've lovingly called Noir Exception is basically, I felt that more films could use like a film noir sort of-esque narration to them. So what I've, what I've done is I've written some for some notable films of a variety, uh, a variety of factors. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a narration that I've read. So this doesn't necessarily have to be the beginning of the film. It could be uh, various parts of the film. I want you to try and work out what film it is based on my noir narration. That's kick-ass. Yeah. So what I'll so what I'll have you do is there's going to be basically a speed element to this. So what you do is when you think you know what the film is, message me privately on Zoom immediately, and basically okay. the point will go to the first uh, to the first person uh, who gets it correct. Uh, if you want, you can basically send me multiple entries. I mean, you can't just be, like, typing every single <laughs> film that's ever existed. What's also going to happen for the final one is a special special round. Okay. Okay, so are we ready for the first narration? Yes. Okay. I would also like to thank the, uh, the random film noir generator that I found for giving <laughs> me a lot of inspiration for this. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, a random film noir generator exists. I was going to say, wow, <laughs> I'm impressed by whoever created that. Yeah. Okay. It was a dark night. I walked down this normal street, looking at the quaint little houses, envious of the regular lives that the people within lead. I'm instantly made cautious at the attention that my associate, the professor, and I could draw. So I took out the lights in the street. We chatted about the legitimacy of what we were doing, whether what we were doing was right, whether it was good, but we had no choice. We had to protect the boy. We got into the house in question, a large four high above, and now, thanks to us, a small child in a basket placed below. Okay, so you've both gone for the same answer. Uh, can I say that the culture differences are definitely I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, this is going to show Ah, yes, 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 that's so true. <laughs> because David is, uh, uh, David has answered Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Nia has gone for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> I'm exposed. <laughs> so in that front... This is where Craig is just cruel, like, we are in Britain, Nia, and I do not accept that vision. <laughs> I've been here a year now. <laughs> No, I'm just going to clear this up now because I did a quiz in which this was the answer. I, I, I'm not getting, I'm not going down this road again. I'm accepting both answers. Yeah. The question is, who got there first? Mm. So the person who sent me the answer first was Nia. Oh. <laughs> One point to Nia. Nice. Narration 
number two. There's a there's a small chance David might get this in the first sentence, but I doubt it. Okay. Right. I'll never forget the heat of that moment. The ash, the burning, the screaming. I walked away from the biggest regret of my life, but not before I took it. His defense, his only chance of survival, hoping to give it to his nearest and dearest one day. I still hear his I hate you echoing in my head and the falling of his limbs as I slice them clean off. The metal of his clothing still gripping onto the gravel of the ground. Over time, he slips even further from the high ground. I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> so I, I'm going to say I, I'm, I'm happy to not accept spelling because Nia has sent me Star Wars. I got too excited. I was like, oh. Uh, specifically, third one. Uh, then followed with prequel and <laughs> lol. Um, David sent me, quite simply, Revenge of the Sith, and then decided to also follow that with Star Wars, because apparently I can't be trusted. <laughs> so was this Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith? Yes, it was. The question is, who was fastest? I think we all know that because of the mm. fact that the word star wasn't spelt correctly, <laughs> Nia gets the point. Nice. Oh. So yeah. Nia got there very quickly. I think it's because well she done. put in Star Wars and you put in Revenge of the Sith with the correct capitalization, I would also say. Oh, he uh, <laughs> I know, I was like, should I be this pedantic? <laughs> okay. Number three. What a dark and cold place. Water dripping all over and not just from the large pool in front of me. But it's all worth it for him, I think. I grip onto my bag as if my life depends on it. The splashing of the water warns me of his arrival. Lining up dinner for us both, I sit beside the pool with a cheery look on my face. I see his arm, a most peculiar arm, reach out and touch an egg. I can't help but think a variety of thoughts at the absurdity of it all. Mostly, how can I be this deep in thought and intelligent conversation with myself when I can't even speak? David still thinking? Yeah, no oh. idea. No idea. <laughs> okay, so David has gone for Blue Lagoon. Mia <laughs> uh, has gone for The Shape of Water. Ah, uh, yes. It's the Shape of Water. I thought the egg was like the giveaway. Yeah. I was like, ooh. But then you also said uh, you can't speak. Yeah, right, well. at, the, right yeah. at the end. So yeah. I thought that uh, would also be the thing that would instantly like because I was like eating by the pool. I was like, what the? I know. I, the egg threw me because we said about Harry Potter. So my mind immediately went to that like golden egg when he's in the hot tub, the bath thing in Goblet of Fire. And I was like, we've had Harry Potter. Get that out of your mind. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Can I say I did watch the trailer again uh, this morning just to double check it was an egg. Because I, I, I knew it was like an obscure food. I just wanted mm. to make sure exactly what it was. And it was just hard boiled eggs. Hard boiled eggs. Yeah. Okay. So are, we, are we ready for number four? Yes. Let's see. Okay. I woke up on a cold, wintry morning, my eyes blinking wildly by the newfound light of day. Everything was eerily quiet, much too quiet. The hustle and bustle of what should be one of the busiest days of my life was just gone like a father going to buy cigarettes and never coming back. Maybe that's what happened. I walked around the joint, 
trying to find any signs of life. No one. Not a single sign of anyone. No mother or father, no sisters or brothers. I was alone in this crazy world. So that's when I decided if I was going to be alone in this crazy world, <laughs> that's when I treated it such. I'll eat what I want, do what I want, and watch gangster movies as much as I want. Filthy animals indeed. So at that point, I think we can all we all know what the answer is. And the answer is, say it with me. Home alone. Home alone. <laughs> Home alone. The question is, who was quickest? It was Nia. Oh, God, I did terrible. <laughs> so those are all four of the scenarios I've lined up. Oh, and wow. got all of them quickly. So to make this final round interesting and make the entire first part of the game somewhat moot, instead of me giving you a film noir narration and you oh. having to say what film it is, I'm going to give you a film Oh. That I've put onto it, that I basically got from a random generator, and I want you within a minute to come up with a film noir narration you are then going to give to us. Oh, God. Interestingly, though, it is giving me something somewhat linked to Nia because uh, what it gave me was Shrek. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm going to do, to be fair, is I'm going to, if Nia wins, then Nia just wins everything. If you win, David, I'm going to say that there are two games and you are the winner of each game. Cool. Cool? Yeah. So, are we ready? Yes. I think it is safe to say that is a uh, time up. Now that was that was my jam. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me for a ride. Yep. Yeah, that is <laughs> the uh, the minute long version of the <laughs> countdown music. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to quickly ask uh, Google to do a coin flip. So David, as you are in last place at the moment, I will allow you to call uh, the flip. So uh, do you want do you want heads or tails? I'll go heads. It's tails. So uh, that means David will read first. Okay. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Here we go. Theories. Theories everywhere. No, not the beautiful, pretty types. Not those seen down a swamp alley bar. These were the types with tails. Fairy tales. Barging in and changing my way of life, my livelihood, my home. <laughs> I can't help but not settle down as I'm pestered and followed by a talking mule, talking about parfait. 
I could do with Parfait right now. <laughs> I could do again out in this joint and getting my home and livelihood back. <laughs> Bring it back, please. Scene. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment on both of them until I've heard, until I've heard both. Nia, what do you have? Okay. Well, you're probably wondering how you ended up here. In the middle of nowhere. In a swamp with an ugly old ogre like me. Well, fasten your seatbelts. You're in for a bumpy ride. It all started with a donkey. He came in and interrupted my precious solitude and invaded my home with a bunch of really annoying fairy tale characters you never even thought existed. And that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you. Both both different approaches. <laughs> yeah. Can I just can I just say David, when you were just like the tales, fairy tales, I was like, oh, <laughs> try and keep composure. Try and keep composure. I don't know why. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh, I thought they were both great, but I think that I think what David's had was because mm. he also mixed in a bit of the the weird humor that Shrek also has into the like the film. Uh, I'm gonna say that for the for the uh, film noir and the race uh, writing. David wins that. <laughs> but uh, I would say in terms of choosing like an overall winner of the uh, overall winner of the end game, I think because Nia did such a demanding job in the first <laughs> one, I think it is only fair to say that Nia is the overall winner of this game. Yes, so. definitely. And who followed the typical tropes of a, <laughs> a noir narration. Probably more traditional. Yeah. I, I love I the like, you know, let me take you back to the story kind of aspect. Well, you're wondering how you got here. <laughs> it all started with a mule. Yeah. As I think all great stories should just have that as their yes. own. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Thank you. It's been very fun today talking about film noir. It's been very fun uh, having our uh, own attempts at uh, cracking the, the typical tropes of uh, narrating film noir with such an iconic film as Shrek. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hope you've had fun today, Nia. Yeah, thank you guys again for having me on. I love discussing uh, film noir with you and hopefully we can discuss about more film noir, you know, in the future or, you know, yeah. other crime dramas. That'd be cool. Exactly. Yeah, look out in November, the, the, the month for noir. <laughs> yes. So uh, where can we catch you, Nia? What is the best socials to catch you on and what, what you got planned and working on at the moment yes uh, you can catch me both on twitter and instagram at aloofness um and you can basically just catch me working remotely again still at sun and moon i can't tell you guys what i'm working on yet but hopefully Aww. the next time we uh chat i can dish hey. some good stuff because it's, it's gonna be good awesome yeah well we look forward to that and uh yeah as usual you can catch us on well good movies also new onto twitter uh but also on facebook and instagram and you can also catch us at freshtakehub.com slash well good movies which is our website that has both the podcast and some great articles about other films scarface reviews news all that kind of cool stuff so go check that out uh thank you guys anything lastly from yourself craig i should probably go and rest my voice <laughs> especially after doing narrations as well so you're already tired out your voice and then you go and do narrations what can I'm I say I, I, I love this podcast great work 
Well, thank you guys. And uh, yeah, please, everyone at home, go check out Sunset Boulevard and Rafifi and uh, lots of other noir films. Uh, it's a great genre and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Craig. And thank you, everyone at home. We'll catch you thank next you. time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Ready? Yes. Wait. Wait, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> Can that I, happen, please, on a countdown episode? <laughs> My heart. Stop, stop. <laughs>